0: Good morning, Your Place Church. Good to see you guys today. Excited about this brand new series we're starting. Before I get into that, I just wanted to let you know we've got a lot going on. For those of you who just came in, we're doing, uh, just depending on the week, we're doing a lot of our announcements before. The worship team starts, so you, may, you might miss some things. Um, the number one thing I want to let everybody know is next week we're having a block party right here at the church, uh, Saturday from 11 to 1. We encourage everybody to come, like come. The whole point of that is really for you to get to know your church family. We're in two services, and so uh, it, it gets increasingly more difficult to know everybody who you worship with when you may or may not see each other on the weekend. So that block party is really designed, it's just a hangout basically over lunch, just come stop and go if you want. Um, And then if you're new with us, it'll give us an opportunity to kind of hear your story. Uh, So we invite you to come to that. And then next, uh, the day after that, so Sunday is Mother's Day, so we've always got something fun for the moms. I've already got my message ready for that. It's, uh, I'm teaching on a, uh, a subject in the Bible or a person in the Bible. I don't know that I've ever taught on quite this, this detailed, so that'll be, that'll be next week. And of course, we always have something fun for moms, um, so that's Mother's Day. Today, we have s'mores for everyone. So after service today, s'mores out in the cafe uh, in between services. So we hope you guys enjoy it. Last week, we had breakfast burritos. This week, s'mores. We have a saying around here, when church is fun, commitment is easy. And so we want you guys to have fun. And uh, I mean, you already, you already paid for the s'mores anyway. You might as well eat them. Amen. <laughs> might as well eat them. So uh, they'll be out there after service. If you have little ones, obviously, with an open flame, that's on you. Okay, that's on you. Keep watch over those little ones. We've we, we seen people before just walk up and just burn things, just to burn them. No, no, no. It's, it's, the flame is for the marshmallows. Amen. And then uh, towards the end of May on last Wednesday, we are having something that we call Freedom Night, um, and that's for all of our, it's, everybody's invited. It's a last Wednesday service, but we are going to be doing baptisms that night. So if you want, amen, if you want to be a part of that, feel free to be a part um, We encourage everyone to come to Last Wednesday Services. Um, We do ask if you want to be baptized that you do get signed up. The sign-up sheet's not out there yet. It'll be coming up here in the next few weeks. Um, And the reason why is because we like to communicate just some expectations for you for baptism. And so when you see that sign-up sheet or hear us talking about that, then you know um, kind of what that's about. So we are um, entering a brand-new series. The theme for 2022 for us has been centered around this thought of being planted. We spent two months um, at the beginning of the year just talking about what it means to be planted. And the scripture that we used came from Psalm 1, verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers And and our heart is, we just want you to see yourself the way that God sees you. Amen, everyone? God sees you planted. God sees you strong. He sees you healthy. A tree planted by the rivers of water doesn't depend on rain because it has a constant source of water. Now, there's a difference between being Planted and being a potted plant, and we've talked about this at the beginning of the year. You know, when you're just potted, you can move around wherever it's convenient, wherever the sun is shining on you. But here's the thing about potted plants: when a storm comes up, they just blow off the porch, right? We were out of town last week, and um, we came home, and when we got home, all of our all of our potted plants were just tumbling across the across the yard. Our, our little, we have this little outdoor rug just blown up on the furniture. Apparently, we got some wind last week. That's what happens when we're planted, but when, you are, when you're potted, when you're planted, you can withstand the storm. Can I have an amen, everyone? See yourself the way God sees you. Now, I told you um, when we started the theme of the year, I was going to say some things a little bit stronger than normal because we need to hear them. Amen. For instance, last Wednesday. Last Wednesday was probably a record low for us um, in attendance, but it was a record high for us in an encounter with the manifested presence of God. Amen, everyone. God did some things. We spoke on the authority in the name of Jesus, and then the, song, the, the worship team came, and they sang that song that they just sang right here, um, I Speak Jesus. And I'm telling you, friends, there was some stuff broken off of people last Wednesday amen everyone and 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 as your pastor this there's just a lot of our church who didn't experience that and no one's in trouble but I just want you to know my heart I want you to receive everything that God has for you amen everyone and so whenever there's opportunities like that get in those opportunities The thing about a last Wednesday that makes it so unique is there's not another service coming. So like this service, I kind of have a time schedule here that I got to get you guys moving because there's another service after you. But on a last Wednesday, we can just hang out in the presence of God. And we can really get some things accomplished. And I I really believe a lot of things were accomplished um, last Wednesday. So here's what I need you to understand. The scripture in Psalms 1 is giving us a picture of the end result of the tree that has been planted, not the beginning. It's a process. We don't spend a lot of time talking about process. And if we don't, what happens is is we have a tendency, our, our human nature side of us has a tendency to drift. And I know there's a lot of people who have just began a relationship with Jesus. And so it's important that you know, just like anything else, it's a process. So I want to spend a few, a few weeks here talking about the growing seasons in our lives. And we don't necessarily love growing seasons I don't know if you remember growing up, especially if you had a growth spurt. Nobody loves shin splints, muscle cramps, right? Nobody nobody enjoys those things. They're no fun. Um, if it's been a while since you've had a growth spurt, have you tried exercising after a while of not exercising, right? It hurts at times. It hurts. Uh, but the thing is, if we want the results, if we want, you know, the the, the health or the physical activity or the... Even, you know, just from appearances, uh, then we have to go through that process. It's necessary to grow. And I know if we're going to be honest, we all want to be there. There's this place called there that everybody has in their mind. Man, when I get there, when I can do that, right? Or when when does there ever happen? I mean, how do we know when we're all grown up? When we move out? <laughs> When we start paying bills, are we all grown up because we start paying bills? I remember when I got my first cell phone. And again, when I was young, cell phones weren't as uh, handy as they are now. Everybody, it seems like they've got them now. Um, I remember getting my first cell phone, and I thought, I'm all grown up now. You know, I was, I was in my 20s when I got it. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily prove, especially in today's culture, just because you have a phone doesn't mean you're grown up. But here's the thing, God expects us to grow. Amen, everyone? He expects us to grow. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, there's so much more I would love to say about this, but it's difficult to explain. Why? Well, since you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. (laughs) Settle down, Paul, (laughs) right? Settle down. You've been uh, believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, the Bible says. And so, Scripture just assumes that we are going to continue to grow. Scripture wants us to grow. And the number one way we do grow is by reading Scripture. And listen, friends, not just being a hearer of the Word, but by being a doer of the Word. Amen? Amen? I had an uncle once. Um, Actually, had an uncle, and then I had a great-uncle. And me and my great uncle were talking about my uncle one time. And my uncle was a little bit of a wild hare. Um, Everybody's got a crazy uncle, right? You got a crazy uncle? (laughs) Always makes Christmas interesting. Uh, But anyway, so I had this crazy uncle and um, would always tell off-color jokes. Uh, Every time one of us little cousins would walk by, he'd grab us by the ear and say, it's been a long year since I've seen you, right? And pull my ear off my head. And he was just a little crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, um, and he was just made terrible decisions in life. And I was talking to my great uncle about him. Not, they weren't related, like, they were related, but they weren't like, he wasn't his offspring. I'll put it that way, okay? And uh, he, said, he said to me, some people um, weren't raised, they just grew up. Some people weren't raised, they just grew up. And that's true. And here's what we don't want at, for the people of your place church. We don't want you just to grow up. We want you to be raised. Everybody needs a spiritual voice in their life. Everybody needs a Paul, someone that can speak into them. Someone needs a Barnabas, someone that you can do life with. And then some, everybody needs a Timothy, someone that you're pouring into. Amen, everyone. So we're going to talk about, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to grow in the things of God. Now, don't just assume you know what I'm going to talk about because you don't. The Holy Spirit has a right now message for us. I believe that. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the growing seasons that we're in. Lord, it's spring, the leaves are are budding, there's flowers coming up, the grass is turning green. Father, it just seems right that we would talk about growing seasons in our lives. And Father, we know that you have a plan, a very strategic and a very perfect plan for every single one of us, Father. And so Lord, I pray that as we navigate through these scriptures and these points today, Father God, you can make this message apply to every person where they're at. Father, I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to do most of the heavy lifting today on the inside of each and every one of us. But Father, I want my words to be directed by you, so though I have pages and pages of notes, Father God, we want to hear from you today. We give you glory for it in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be honest with you right up front and let you know that I stole most of this message from Pastor Chris at Church of the Highlands. <laughs> I mean, it was good. Uh, He he said some things that I wanted to say to us as a community of believers, and he said them quite honestly better than I was going to say them, so I I copied his points and some of his thoughts and some of his scriptures. I guess it's not plagiarism if you give him credit, right? Is that how that works, right? All the teachers will tell me later, no, technically it's still plagiarism. So, um, (laughs) but we want to be a fully mature believer's. Well, if we want to be fully mature believers, there's a truth that we need to know. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Listen, friends, our, our world can try to deconstruct the word of God. They can try to pull it down. They can try to make it no longer relevant, but you need to understand It will, it being the word of God, will never pass away. And I'm just going to pause right here and say something about the word of God. If there is something that you read in scripture that you don't like or that you don't particularly agree with, there is something that we need to know as growing fully developing, maturing Christians. We're the ones wrong. We're the ones wrong. Because His Word is truth. And His Word is life. And it comes alive to those who find it. And the difference between people who come to church and leave the exact same way and the ones who leave completely changed are the ones who find the word of God. Amen, everyone. So he said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So I want to give you seven proofs that the Bible is reliable. Reliable. Seven proofs today that the Bible is reliable. And again, um, if you follow uh, Church of the Highlands, you, these are going to sound vaguely familiar because several weeks ago he taught this very, this very message. Number one, the Bible is historically accurate. It's historically accurate. We know it's full of good principles, and we, I've even heard some pastors say that the Bible is full of good principles, but some of the stories are just made up. That's not true. Are you with me, friends? That's coming from somebody that has something wrong with their own faith. And I know what they're saying. It's just not humanly possible when you read stories like Jonah in the well or the resurrection or the virgin birth. But I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to serve a God who only does things that are humanly possible. I want to see miracles. And we saw miracles last Wednesday night, and it was powerful. You know, I... um, I heard a joke. A little girl was uh, doing a research paper um, at school on Jonah and the well. She turned it in. The teacher wasn't necessarily a Christian. In fact, she was very much an atheist and was mad and asked the little girl why, why she wrote on this. And she says, because I believe it's true. And the teacher asked the little girl, well, how do you know it even happened? And the little girl says, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah myself. And the teacher says, Well, wonder if Jonah is not in heaven. What if he went to hell? And she says, Well, I guess you can ask him. <laughs> Whoa. So, too much? Too much? <laughs> Moving right along. Psalm 33, verse 4. The Bible says, For the word of the Lord is right and it's true. He is faithful in all that he does. So how can we prove something is historically accurate? Well, there are three standards which most people who study history go by. Number one, the most accurate version is eyewitness accounts. If somebody was there and they wrote it down, that is historically the most accurate account. Well, that is true about the Bible. Most of the things written in the Bible were eyewitness accounts, and others of it was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, which we'll get into. The second standard is the Bible was recorded and then copied with extreme care. You know why God used the Jewish nation to write down chunks of the Bible? Because Jewish people are notoriously known for being some of the most... um, Accurate translators out there. Most people will translate word for word. Jewish translators translate letter for letter. In fact, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, were literally translated letter by letter. And there's a myth out there that says every translation gets weaker and weaker. Well, that's not how the Bible was translated. People are under the assumption that the Bible gets translated here and then someone takes this version and translates it here and then someone takes this version and translates it here. Well, accurate translations of the Bible don't do that. Accurate translations of the Bible go all the way back to the original and then translate it from there. Now, there are versions of Scripture that are paraphrases. The message translation is a paraphrase. And people are like, oh man, I love that translation. It's a paraphrase, right? And so what they've done is they've taken one of the English translations and they have made it, you know, easy to read, you know, King James, why doth thou doeth this unto me? Message, what's up, bro? Right? It's like, that's that's kind of how it is, right? What's up, bro? May not be an accurate translation, but we get it, right? And then the third way that people... know that something's true, especially uh, historical things, is archaeological confirmations. There are archaeological digs and findings. The most recent finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls have proved to be the biggest find in history, in biblical history so far. We have more recorded information about Jesus Christ than the Roman emperors of his day. We have more manuscripts from certain portions of the Bible, more manuscripts from then than we do of a lot of Roman history. In fact, yet in all of Rome, with all of their wealth and all of their power producing this stuff, the most recent document we have is 900 A.D. Well, we have the gospel manuscripts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, There's hundreds of them, and the earliest ones date not to 900 AD. We have fragments of the book of John dated 135 AD. And most, um, actually, we have far more manuscripts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than we do of any other manuscripts of ancient history. We have over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. These four books of the Bible outweigh all of the original manuscripts of Roman history of all time, and yet people dispute it, whether or not it's real. The Bible is true. Amen. Number two, or the second reason or proof that the Bible is real is the Holy Bible is scientifically accurate. And I know this is where a lot of people are like, what, what? Science? what? science, Bible, yeah. We've all heard the phrase recently, you just have to trust the science. Well, science evolves. Science changes. My computer science class from high school is no longer relevant. Amen, everyone? It's just not. We're not using DOS anymore. We're not using dial-up. Uh, internet anymore, we're not using dot matrix printers, yeah we're not doing that anymore. Why? Because it evolves. Science evolves, but the truth stays the same. Psalm 148 verse five says, "Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. For a book that was written 1,600 years ago, you would think that there would be something that needed to be corrected or added, wouldn't you? But nothing needed corrected or added because the word of God is true. You think that science would, you know, eventually creep into the Bible. There were things that were believed in science that we look back now and we're like, why did they even believe that? Like, the earth was flat. Years and years science believed that the earth was flat. They, um, you only have to go back a few hundred years to read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. He sits enthroned above, look at this, the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. That word that the translators used for circle is the same word for sphere, which consequently is where we get our word, globe. Science used to believe that the earth had to be held up. Greeks believed it sat on Atlas' shoulders. The Egyptians felt like the earth was held up by five pillars. Well, obviously, we know that the earth is just floating out here in space, Right? Well, go back to the oldest book of the Bible, and it will tell you in in Job chapter 26, verse 7, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space, and he suspends the earth over nothing. It's creation. How did Job know that? Well, maybe God wrote the Bible. Amen, everyone. Amen. Science used to believe they could number the stars and that they could actually be counted. And there was an astrologer, um, I'm not going to say his name right, but it's like, it's like Hippocris, hippocrates hippocrates actually counted the stars in 150 BC. Counted them. One, two, three. Counted them and came up with a historical fact that there are 1,022 <laughs> God bless you, uh, 1,022 stars. That's what, that's, what, that's what the astrologers believed back in the day. There were 1,022 stars. Well, 300 years later, another astrologer said, that number's wrong, there's actually 1,026 stars. Well, if you Google it, Google tells you that there are over 200 billion trillion stars out there. In fact, Scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 33, I will make my descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister before me, as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. You, just, you can't count them. There's just too many of them because that's how big God is. Science believed for years that um, too much blood was unhealthy for you. In fact, there was a study that it's called um, humoralism that believed infections came from one of four body fluids that you just had to get rid of. They didn't understand contagions. They didn't understand wearing a mask. Even though in Leviticus it says, listen, if there's there's any sick among you, the priests will quarantine them for seven days like they knew about it way back then, right? Bloodletting used to be a thing. You know what bloodletting is, right? They believed that whatever ailed you was in your blood, so they would just cut you open, turn you over, and just bleed you out, bleed out that infection. It's actually what killed George Washington, bloodletting, right? We we don't want to get the blood out of us. We want to get the blood in us. Amen, everyone? Well, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says, the life of a creature is in the blood. So the Bible knew, Scripture knew, this is, this is why we believe, in, we believe in life around here. We believe that, again, scientifically, so we're not against science. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just saying science is constantly evolving, but the truth stays the same. Recently, it's been found out that you can detect life and blood in a, in a fetus eight days after conception. Are you with me, friends? Psalm 12 says, and the words of the Lord are flawless. You just can't find flaws in them. The word of God is true. The third reason or proof that the Bible is real is the Holy Bible is prophetically accurate. Now, I know this is where some people, we kind of lose you on some of these things, so I'll, 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 I'll try to break it down for you. This one's sensitive because there are nearly a thousand predictions or prophecies in Scripture. 300 alone about Jesus Christ Himself. And here's the thing about that. It just takes one of them to be wrong for people to throw the whole thing out. You can have 900 of them right, but one of them's wrong, and you just never know the accuracy of prophecy. Every Scripture in, or every prophecy in, in the Word of God has come to pass except for a handful that are talked about in Revelations. Are you with me, friends? Predictions about Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about, you know, a century before he was born. Generations before he was born. In detail, like not that he's going to be a nice guy, you know, not stuff like that. It's like he will ride in on a donkey. He will flee Egypt. He will be born in Nazareth. Like very accurate predictions about Jesus. Some of which, I mean the most earliest one that we have is 300 years before Jesus ever showed up in the flesh. The most, most recent. We were reading from Isaiah about prophecies 700 years before he showed up. Well 300 years, I mean that would be like... Um, People coming over on the Mayflower talking about what we're going to be doing today. It's impossible. King David predicted things in his writings about the crucifixion of Christ. Crucifying people wasn't even a form of capital punishment in David's day. But yet saw it in the future and and prophesied about it. Are you with me, friends? Every prophecy in the Bible has come absolutely true. And here's the thing, a recent, a recent research um, held by, the guy's name is Peter Stoner, he does research on probability. I thought this was very interesting. He got a hundred other guys who study probability uh, as well together and they, they, they came up um, for one person fulfilling just eight prophecies. In other words, they, they've got eight of them Right? The probability of that is one to the 17th power. Do we have that number? That number. The probability of one person getting eight prophecies correct is that number. In other words, it's not very probable. And you know what probability is, right? If I had a bucket of 10 tennis balls Um, and one of them was red, and I blindfolded you, and you stuck your hand in there, and you pulled the red one out, you had a one and ten chance of picking it out, right? Of getting the red one. That's what probability is. Now, if it is true that probability, like this, this guy, you know, one person getting eight of these prophecies about Jesus right, it would be comparable to, if we're talking about that number, if we had... Some silver dollars. And I'm not talking about just a handful of silver dollars. You would have to have enough silver dollars to cover a landmass the size of Texas. Two feet deep. All right? And if we put you in a helicopter and we left out of here and we flew over texas we blindfolded you and we said okay you tell us where the gold one is there's one gold one you tell us when to stop and we'll we'll hover down you stick your hand down as far deep as you want to go and you pull up the red or the gold one right that probability is that number and yet one person Predicting eight things about Jesus Christ was that number. There have been people who have fulfilled 16 prophecies. That would be one to the 45th power. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies would be one to the 157th power. They've all come true. Are you with me, friends? There is no explanation for that, except that man did not write the Bible, God did. Amen, Come on. Amen everyone. Second Peter chapter two, uh, one, verse two says, or verse 21. "For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." The Holy Spirit communicated these things. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. By this, but this has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. There are prophecies, listen to me, friends, that have yet to happen. Most of them are written in the book of Revelations. Revelation, not Revelations. I grew up saying Revelations, it's actually the book of Revelation, Um, that that have yet to happen. And these are prophecies that you and I, we don't want to ignore. Are you with me, friends? Talking about the last days and what's yet to happen. We want to be on the right side of those prophecies. The last page of the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, In Revelation 22, verse 6 says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Verse 7, look. Red letters means Jesus is, is speaking. Look, I'm coming soon. And blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy which is written, are written in these scrolls. Amen, everyone? We're going to be on the right side of prophecy. You can either be on the wrong side or you can be on the right side. We're choosing to be on the right side of prophecy. Amen, everyone? The fourth reason or proof that the Bible is real. See, I had seven. We're, moving. We're, we're making pretty good time. We're making pretty good time. The fourth reason is the Holy Bible is thematically unified. Listen to this. The Holy Bible was written over 1,600 years in over a dozen different countries on three continents, by 40 people in three different languages, and yet they all tell the exact same story. It's thematically unified. Well, how did they get this exact same story? God wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. You can't say that about any other religion. The Koran was just written by one person. The, The analytics of Confucius, written by one person. The writings of Buddha, written by one person. It wouldn't be hard to be unified if it's just one person writing it. But this many people over this amount of time and that amount of space, how does that become unified without contradicting it? God. God wrote the Bible. Amen, everyone? And some of you are in the room and you're like, yeah, Pastor Darren, we know this. Some people don't. Some people are trying to say that the Scripture is not accurate and the Scripture is not true. That's where you get into some dangerous territories, friends. The fifth reason or proof that the Bible is real is the Holy Bible is trusted by Jesus. And some people think that this is the weakest argument about the validity of the word. But if you're a person who has put your faith in Jesus and you trust him, then whatever he says is right, is right. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until Everything is accomplished. That's why I challenge people out there who are deconstructing the Bible and picking and choosing what kind of life they want to live. It is very dangerous to do that. In fact, when I was listening to Pastor Chris, he made a statement that I completely agree with. Uh, agree with. He says, if you believe what you like in the Bible and don't believe in what you don't like... It's not the Bible that you trust, but yourself. Amen? Some people have created a religion around themselves, and it's a very, very dangerous place to be. The sixth reason or proof that the Bible is real is the Holy Bible has survived all these attacks throughout all creation, which, which begs the question, why is it even being attacked in the first place? Yeah. Because if we can water down what the word of God says, you can water down Christianity, and the devil wins. Are you with me, friends? Amen. Why is it so aggressively being attacked even to this day? Think about this. The Bible, the Holy Bible is one of the most despised, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book of all time, yet it is still here. Yeah. Why? Because heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, First Peter, I'll, I'll read it again. People are like grass, and all their glory is like flowers of the field, and grass withers, and flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Amen, everyone? So I have some questions for us in the room that I really want you to consider. And I want you to answer. You don't have to email me and answer them, but you need to resolve these on your own. You need to to make some decisions on your own. Will I be one of those who challenge, attack, and disassemble God's word? Is that who I'm going to be? Am I going to be that person who challenges the word of God, who attacks the word of God, who tries to disassemble God's word? Or... Will I just live by it? Will I just live by it? If there's something that needs, if there's, I'll say it this way, if there's some changing that needs to take place, I'm not going to change the word of God to fit me. I'm going to change me to fit the word of God. Amen? Well, I just don't agree with that. I'm going to say this with a smile. You're wrong. You're wrong. The Word of God has stood the test of time. Amen? The next question, will I deconstruct it or will I defend it? Am I going to pick it apart? Am I going to talk about what's relevant today or not? Or am I just gonna live by it? Am I gonna defend it? And that's just it. Some people are choosing not to defend Scripture. Jesus says, if you stand up before me, I'll stand up, I'll stand up before you. If you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. That's Jesus' words. Amen, everyone? Will I Will I deconstruct it, or will I defend it? Will I follow the world, or will I follow the Word? What if they make the Bible illegal? That's happened in some countries. And there are some things that are out there on the floor right now that would make portions of this Scripture illegal. They're going to have to lock me up. have to lock us up because this word of God is life to those who find them are you with me friends that's why we don't just give you our opinion of what you should do in life we saturate you with scripture that's how we grow the last one is when you can test out on yourself you can you can be the proof And that's simply this. Try it yourself. Some people are making decisions on what God is able to do in some person's life on a half-hearted effort. I'm going to say that again. Some people are making decisions about what God can do in a person's life on a half-hearted effort. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, "You You will seek me and find me When you seek me with all your heart. Every piece of you that you've got, God, it is yours. I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm not pretending that I'm right when I'm wrong. Everything. Everything. Well, if this scripture is true, the opposite would be true. If you seek me, without all of your heart, you'll never actually find me. Pastor Taylor was talking about during our one big huddle, which happens every weekend, guys, 8.30. He's talking about how there's a veil that has been put over people's eyes. And that, you know, he's read the scripture that talks about that. When you receive Jesus, that veil is lifted. And so many people are blind to what the Word of God really says and what He's doing inside of me. Some people are like, well, it just didn't work for me. Well, of course, of course it didn't. Of course it didn't. You didn't put your whole heart into it. Amen, everyone. So here's what I'd like you to do. Give us a year. Give us a year. Give the Lord a year. Give God a year. Give scriptural a year. And no matter what happens, just be in the place. Every single weekend you can be. For a year, give yourself to it and watch what God does. Give yourself to the Bible for one year and watch what God does. Whether you're tired or not, whether this is your only day off this week or not, whether you feel like it or not, give God and His word And I'll say it this way, if you feel like you're planted at your place church, give us a year and tell us if you're different or not. I I met with a couple just um, a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about being in a last Wednesday service. This was one a few months ago, and I, I don't I remember the service and I remember stopping the service. I don't necessarily remember what I said. And that happens a lot of times when when the Lord gives you uh, a word for that moment or for that group of people. But I came out and I started talking about how there's somebody in this room that there's an addiction that you can't shake. Like you can't shake it. And then I guess I proceeded to say several words that they said in the same context strung together in the same order that they talked about together as a husband and wife in the privacy of their own home. And I just, I just said it during the last Wednesday. Well, they had an encounter with God that night. Amen, everyone? Why? Whole oh, heart. They were here where the presence of God could speak and minister life to them. He proved himself to them that night. The seventh reason or proof that the Bible is rear is rear no, real is the Holy Bible has life-changing power. And people think I'm obligated to say that. Go talk to your friends. If you've had an encounter with God, hold your hand up. Put it down. There's the proof. There's the proof. He works. The Bible works. Someone who surrounded their life, or I'm sorry, surrendered their life completely over to him, see what they say. John chapter 8 verse 31. Jesus said, "If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Not just playing with it. Not just when it's convenient when we know it, when we live it. Now, Pastor Chris did something when uh, he finished the service there at Highlands that I want us to do. He basically put a statement up that became a prayer, and I'm going to read this statement, and then we're going to basically say it out loud together. And if you agree with it, then you can say it with me. If you don't, you don't have to say it. But the statement was simply this. um, Dear God... From this day forward, I will accept the Bible as your flawless word to me, and I will make it the final authority for my life, even when I don't understand it, when it's not popular, easy, or even when I don't like it. There are things in Scripture you're not going to like, but it's still true. goes on to say, You are God and I am not. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Thank you for loving me enough to speak to me through your word. I want to love your word, learn your word, and live your word. That's a declaration to the Lord. And I'm telling you, if you pray prayers like that, your next Bible study, your next time with God, that veil is going to be loosened. It's going to be, it's going to be opened for you. So if you believe that, say that with me then. Dear God, from this day forward, I will accept the Bible as your flawless word to me, and I will make it the final authority for my life, even when I don't understand it, when it's not popular, easy, or even when I don't like it. You are God, and I am not. Thank you for loving me enough to speak to me through your word. I want to love your word, learn your word, and live your word. Amen, amen, amen.